You've heard that all press is good press, but how do you successfully handle the spotlight when your business is at the center of a crisis? This is Nina Barbero for Chamber Chat, and today we're speaking with Kathleen Hesser, a public relations expert of more than 30 years, with experience helping world-class athletes, celebrities, and executives build their brands and say the right things at the right time. You might not have heard of Kathleen, but you've definitely heard of her clients. Peyton and Eli Manning, Venus and Serena Williams, P. Diddy, Shaquille O'Neal, and even Pope Francis. Hello, Kathleen, and welcome to Chamber Chat. Hi, Nina. Glad to be here. You've worked with many high-profile clients. What is the one thing they are most looking for your help with? When people at the top of any organization, whether it be a C-level executive or an owner or it's a celebrity personality, when they come to me, generally they know they're uh, they're lacking in some way, shape, or form. It could be a looming crisis. It could be something wonderful. When P. Diddy came to me, he was launching his his music network. Now, here was a man who had as much exposure all over the world in you know as anybody could imagine. And I'm thinking, well, why does he why does he want me to help him? Uh, prepare him for the media in particular uh, for him for the launch of this and it's because you know he had never he was putting in a make or break situation here was a whole huge organization not just a company because he had been an entrepreneur but something even bigger than that that he was staking everything behind and he didn't often talk to the business media so I remember Oh, I was preparing him in particular for a Wall Street Journal interview and um, I go into my dragon lady mode when I'm doing uh, mock interviews and so on and and all his people were around him and we were in LA and, and we were going to like one in the morning and I'm, I'm barraging him with questions and he stopped and he was all flustered and he said well why didn't you people prepare me for this you know these oh, I can't do this interview tomorrow and I said Sean, we can do this. You can be ready. I can get you there. You just need to take a deep breath and and turn around and we'll you know we'll anticipate the questions. We'll come up with the answers for you that you're comfortable with and that are authentic, and you'll be ready for this interview. So that surprised me. But then there are others. I write a lot of speeches for uh, top people, and so some come to me for speech writing. Some come to me because they have, um, you know, they just want to be better. Uh, Peyton Manning, I've been working with him since he was a junior at Tennessee. And he had to make a decision if he was going to stay or go, you know, go to the NFL and be the number one draft pick or stay in college one more year, which was total anomaly at that time. You know, nobody would stay if they had the opportunity, especially be number one in in the draft. And his dad, Archie, called me and said, can you help us? Peyton's got a big decision to make and we need to be prepared for the onslaught. And so it, it was a matter... This is a guy who is, you know, was number one in high school in football, was number one in college, was number one in the pros multiple, multiple times. And and people said, why would someone like that need your help? After 23, 24 years of working with them, it's because the best always want to be better. And they know often that if there's one little thing that can differentiate them from the competition, 
whatever that may be, that's what they want to be able to, to um, identify and activate, etc. So it depends on what their needs are. Do they, do they need to be more charismatic as a speaker? Do they need a more charismatic speech um, that, that's right on target? Do they need to build their personal or organizational brand? Uh, it could be social media. Um, I've worked since 2006 in social media, so was an early adopter. So we create strategies and applications for social media. And it's mind-boggling to a lot of people because they think, oh, it's easy. So, you know, I can, I can post a tweet or, or an Instagram picture and so I'm fine with social media without any strategy behind it, without any alignment to their business goals. And so it's like, well, what do you mean I'm not doing this right? So it depends on what their needs are. You know, years ago our tagline was, we build communication champions. And it still is, because it doesn't matter what field they're in. If I was working with the CEO of KPMG, uh, at that time he would say, now who are you working with on the PGA Tour? And I mean, that's what he wanted to know before we talked about anything. Uh, and so people would ask me, what's the difference between the sports personalities you work with, whether it be a coach or a, or a player or, or athlete of some sort, and the executives? And I say the uniform. That's the bottom line. They all have the same fears, insecurities, um, egos that to work with. And so it's a matter of getting down to one-on-one. -on -one. What's going to work with them? What their real needs are? Really listening to them and then giving them candid feedback. A lot of people at the top of whatever they're doing, whether it's in a, a small organization or it's you know in a, a larger one or a celebrity field, um, they're used to yes men and yes women sucking up to them, you know, wanting to tell them what they think they want to hear, often because that's their livelihood. And I think that I've survived for so long because I don't suck up. Um, if you don't want candid, you don't work with me because I see things, I make a, a make it a habit of, of looking for and seeing things that a lot of people don't see and connecting the dots and being very forthright in what works, what doesn't work, and why. Can you share a few examples of how you've helped those high-profile high clients overcome some negative perceptions? Yes, I would say that um, it could be as simple as their physical Appearance. I was hired by uh, by a major college athletic program. In fact, when the when the board of trustees hired their new football coach, it was with the caveat that he would work with me. And the first thing that the athletic director asked me to do was tell him not to wear white socks and to come <laughs> into work on time. I'm like, you're paying me to tell him what you should be telling him. That's that's ridiculous. Um, but his appearance gave a negativity. Um, for the CEO of a major, major global organization, um, he had to, he, he was in um, one of, at the time, one of the big six accounting firms. He was the the new. He was, had to run for and do a a whole um, campaign, grassroots campaign, to be named chairman. And here was a really bright guy, and he um, 
and he wanted the job and he was capable of it and he was a real visionary but also had the ability to be tactical as well as visionary and you don't always get that and when I went around with him on these grassroots you know listening meetings with his partners he was standing in a corner and people had to come to him I'm like hey Steve move out here you you've got to you've got to look like you want to be a part of this group and so for him it was simply oh, the biggest thing was I was getting him not to look tentative because he was typically a private person and he had to be more public I remember that the CEO of, of ESPN at the time George Bodenheimer who actually I understand lives in the Naples area um, he was he started as um, working in the tape room logging tapes and giving rides from the airport for their talent and then he became the most powerful person in the sports industry as the head of ESPN and ABC Sports and he was the humblest guy you could ever know he was wonderful to work with just a pleasure from beginning to end and he hired me to teach him to speak more dynamically and I said George I said you know your brand ESPN is so charismatic and dynamic etc and you fight that you're the opposite when you get up in front of an audience it's like ho-hum I said you you've, you've got to make that brand what they see hear and feel in everything you do and and I asked him to put his right arm out shoulder high and and people listening at this podcast if you do this you'll you'll get exactly what I mean and you put your four fingers and your thumbs together in a circle um, like the okay sign and then I say put the circle on your chin on your chin just like Nina just did people follow what they see instead of what they hear and what leaders in particular need to understand is that we are very much a visual society more and more each day and uh, the vast majority 68 percent of people learn by seeing by the visual impact so if what people are seeing hearing and your content doesn't mesh doesn't align they're going to believe first what they see so you have an answer to something but you look nervous they're going to think nervous and they're not going to trust the answer if the sound of your voice uh, contradicts the message we've got everything under control <laughs> you know they're not, they're not going to believe it and so it doesn't matter if you've got your content right if what they see and what they hear doesn't match the content and so you know all of that uh, you know, there's there's so many ways that sometimes simple and sometimes much 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 more complex uh, you can't make everything look and sound right and not have the foundation for what's right if the culture is wrong if the if the operation is not doing not making people first and not doing what they're supposed to you can't fix it all by you know saying something that's just right in a way that people are going to believe because it's going to come up to catch you wow well speaking of the visuals let's talk a little bit about social media um, what role are you seeing social media play in adding fuel to the fire during modern crises and then how can a business sort of leverage that to help recover 
Sure. Social media is inescapable now. Uh, I talk about traditional and social media being like scrambling eggs. Once you scramble eggs, you can't separate them. You can't separate the milk from the eggs. Um, it's Social media and traditional media are one and they work side by side and in conjunction with each other and one may take precedence over the other at a particular time. But the typical journalist today is on social media to amplify what they may be writing or putting on TV anyway. So oftentimes at the same time or even in advance, they're putting on social media uh, what they're going to be putting in their traditional media outlet or legacy outlets. So uh, you have to have um, an understanding at the very least of social media because when uh, an emergency or a crisis hits, you can, if you're fast enough, you can, an incident, you can stop at incident level if you're identifying it and dealing with people at the right level. So by that I mean, um, imagine that an incident is there's um, a bomb threat and the emergency, the next level up is it's a real bomb. The crisis is the bomb goes off. So bomb, threat, real bomb, bomb goes off. If there's a threat and you don't deal with it effectively, you know, it's going to escalate. It could very easily escalate to a full-scale crisis right away. And so the idea is that with social media, rumors just take off like crazy and they're amplified. Even the President of the United States repeats rumors on a regular basis on Twitter um, by retweeting, reposting somebody's comment um, on Twitter, not knowing who the source is, what their credibility is, etc., and so that perpetuates it even more. So the velocity, the speed with which an incident becomes a crisis or a crisis is amplified even more is phenomenally um, fueled by social media. Plus the scope. Again, something that was once would have stayed in your own backyard, in your own community, within your own company or organization because of social media now can get worldwide exposure immediately. And it could be a disgruntled employee. It could be a customer. I remember uh, just last week I was buying um, tickets to an Elton John concert uh, and I had not done that online with this particular company. And I bought these tickets and when I got my receipt, I had $1,000 worth of fees on top of the expensive price of two tickets. And I was appalled and I immediately called them and um, and they said, well, we can't do anything. Once, it's, once you buy a ticket, that's it. And I said, I want you to understand, I have stopped, I've called American Express and I told them to stop um, not let this charge go through and I have 13,000 followers on Twitter and I will not hesitate to tell everybody the poor customer service practices and, and um, policies and procedures you have. So be, be assured this is not going to stop here. And the next day I got a call and they said we'll 
we'll return the $1,000 in fees to you. Will that satisfy wow. you? And sometimes, you know, just the, you know, just stating what the social media amplification could be. Uh, imagine the PR nightmare that they're dealing with with someone with 13,000 followers, most of which are media people, so could amplify it even more. I've been on airplanes, and I remember going, my, my parents were ill, and they were living on the east side of Florida, and I came from somewhere else to go to, to see them, and so I had a big suitcase, and when I left them, um, I got on the plane in West Palm Beach, and I uh, was six pounds overweight. I had spent over $1,000 for my flight because it was the last minute. I was a platinum flyer. I had over a million miles with their airline, and they were charging me $90 for six pounds overweight, and they said, there's nothing we can do. And again, I told them, you know, in fact, I walked away and I said, are you kidding me? You know, U.S. Air at the time. Are you kidding me, U.S. Air? I paid $1,000. I did this. I did that. And they saw the number of followers I had. By the time I landed in Charlotte, North Carolina, they had returned my $90. So social media, you know, all you need is one customer. All you need is is one vendor. All you need is is somebody observing what happened and misconstruing it or seeing something that you don't see and on social media they can amplify that and create major havoc but you need as organizations and as individuals to be able to be on social media in advance to be um, to know what best practices are to be able to to um, to use those best practices consistently and you need to be listening online to social media and there are all kinds of tools free tools from free hootsuite to to much more deeper and, and more costly you know five thousand dollars a month tools where you can listen to anything and everything that is relevant to you and your business and your issues so that you can um, get the pulse of the public and social media and be able to use that real time to reconfigure your messaging to be somewhere else if you're communicating on facebook but people are talking about it on on twitter or instagram you need to be there where they're where they're communicating so listening deeply it's a business intelligence tool that is amazing if you use it and are willing to to take the insights take the data the knowledge that you get from the data to insight and then insight to understanding and activation and be able to take that right up to the decision makers quickly so that they can use it not a month later when it's too late to do anything about it. Do you think it's more important these days to sort of react to every social media comment to have a positive response to it? Or are there some instances where it's better for especially a small business to sort of let a comment lie and just sort of see where it goes from there before you jump in. You shouldn't be responding to everything. Clearly that's not, you're not going to function well when that happens. And again, if there is something that's really wrong, an incident or an emergency or a crisis, you're probably not going to have all the facts right away. And that's one of the keys in communicating um, in a crisis management mode. And that is that you will never have all the facts. 
and because it's so fluid. But you're going to have to say, this is what I know, this is what I don't know, and this is what I'm going to find out. Be accountable and follow through. So back to your business in crisis, would you say it's more important to start um, internally with your messaging or externally? Most organizations leave their internal audiences to last. They think it's more important to to be prepared or to deal with the media requests or to deal with their biggest customer or uh, or their vendors or or whatever. And they're like, I don't have time. There's never enough resources. But you've got to find a way to manage the crisis, to manage the communications, and to manage business resumption. Um, processes from the very start and they have to be done simultaneously no matter what your what your crisis is or no matter what your resources available are and so uh, what I hear most often is I don't have time to you know I can get to the employees that you know they love us you know we'll get to them later Uh, but the reality is they can be your best ambassadors of goodwill if they feel like they're in the loop and they're being dealt with um, and communicated with authentically from the people at the top. Um, nobody likes to be blindsided. And if they go home and their neighbors or people they like or even don't like in their neighborhood uh, look at them askance or say, well, you know, what really happened here? And they don't have an answer. You know, they, they even if they wanted to give an answer, if they don't have an answer, then they're going to wonder why. Why am why aren't you sharing with us what really happened or what the solutions in progress are? Um, because they're the face of the organization in their home, in their neighborhood. I mean, most of the time they can't even tell their spouses or their significant others or their kids. They can't answer those questions. And if it pops up on the news or it's in the newspaper or it's on radio or and and they said hey hey mom what about or hey dad you know what what's this or can you and and you don't have an answer that's believable then they're not going to trust the people who are their leaders within the organization what are some ways that a business owner can prepare their staff in advance of a crisis what kinds of plans can they have in place First of all, you need to have a written plan, a written plan. You can't have it in your head because say it's in your head, Nina, and you're in the hospital at the particular time when it needs to be activated. And if it's only in your head, then it doesn't exist. doesn't exist, (laughs) you know? So the reality is you have to have a written plan and figure out who your key constituencies are, who are your stakeholders, and, 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 and then you know who's going to be the best one to communicate how with them but the written plan part of it will be the communication part will be the management so who takes charge you know who is responsible if it's not clear who's responsible then you're wasting a lot of time and and it's becoming worse so that written plan can help you with the management the communication and the business resumption Um, But you also need to do risk management. And that risk management, generally you'll have an interdisciplinary team of people, um, mostly inside people, but sometimes outside. It could be an outside attorney as as part of your risk management team. It could be an outside PR firm um, or marketing firm. Uh, But um, 
sit down at least quarterly or when there's a big change in the environment, either internally or the um, landscape in which you're, you operate and say, all right, what keeps us up at night? You in HR, what, what's your worst fear? You in finance, what's your worst fear? You in, in um, manufacturing or you in, in the retail operation or online sales, what's your worst nightmare? And then you actually score those um, potential crises and you score them based on the probability of it occurring and the impact if it does occur. So if it occurs, give it a one to 10. You know, um, is the chance of X worry occurring um, uh, 80% and is the, would the impact of it occurring be uh, detrimental, be a, a, a 10? Then if it's a 10 and it's 80% probability, it's in a high quadrant. So think of four quadrants, um, high impact, high probability, low impact, high probability. Then you look at, at, at low probability, low impact, you know, low probability, but high impact. And you say, all right, where do I put my resources? I want to put my resources and right now to those issues that will be high impact and high probability. And it's funny, but it, and unless you go through that exercise, it typically doesn't happen. You, it's the way you've always done business. All right, we're gonna we're gonna look at this, and, and or you may wait till once a year to to really scour the landscape for what the problems may be, and then it's too late. So the key is with risk management, identifying those potential risks up front. Um, and what the probability and the impact of those risks would be, and then where you need to put your resources when, and assigning someone to be responsible for it. And if it's low, it, say it may be medium impact, but it's low probability, maybe you just assign someone to keep an eye on it. And three months later, when you get back together again, that person brings up no change or there's been a significant change, we need to readdress this, etc. And so risk management committee that's interdisciplinary and meeting at least quarterly or when something significant has changed, there could be an illness of a, of a senior executive that could be problematic, that might trigger a meeting. Um, and then have a written crisis plan identifying incident, emergency and crisis and good examples for them that anybody could follow and procedures. You know, in an incident, this is what we do and who's responsible for it. In an emergency, this is what we do and who's responsible for it. In a crisis, these people are in charge, these are our priorities, and this is how we go about it. And then test your plan. Because anything on paper, as well put together as it is, you're going to find when you test it, something's not going to work the way you think it does. And unless you physically test that plan, probably is not going to be as effective as you think. Can you share an example of testing your crisis plan? Yeah, um, I worked with a major manufacturing company for 25 years, Millikan and Company. They were my client and um, they were a phenomenal company and still are. And 
so I write a, wrote a crisis plan. I kept telling them they needed a crisis plan. They needed a crisis plan. They're like, yeah, 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 the, the head of PR. And one day I get a call. I'm in the cafeteria because I was there doing a, a, a workshop. And they said, well, um, please come see me because we've had a death in a plant. Somebody went out to the car, got a gun, and, and shot you know, someone in the plant. And um, we need to know what to do. And so after that, we dealt with the emergency right then and there. And then we backed off and we wrote a crisis plan, identifying the what ifs and the responsibilities and so on. Um, after we wrote that plan, and it was with a great deal of attention, and it wasn't something done overnight. And with, you know, I, I led a team of interdisciplinary people to do this. Um, then we created workshops for their plant managers all over the world um, in the event of a crisis. This is the company's crisis plan, and this is what you know how you need to deal with it. And then they took it to, as I said, they were outstanding company. Then they took the the workshops that we did that were mandatory for people of a certain management level within the company, and we actually created full-scale crisis drills at some of their facilities and tested them out with local emergency responders and politicians and everything else. So they went to the nth degree, you know, first a plan, then first risk management, then a plan, then workshops that teach key people in the organization that there was a plan and how to use it, et cetera, and who to call, et cetera. And then then they actually tested the plan with full-scale emergency drills that uh, were like, you know, a fire drill, you know, at a school or unfortunately now, you know, a, a active shooter drill. You know, they tested to see, all right, we think this is what's going to happen and where things are going to go. One point at, at, when we did the first test, we found out that within this very large manufacturing plant, if people were in certain conference rooms, you couldn't hear the loudspeaker announcing that there was an emergency and that you know people needed to leave. You couldn't hear the fire alarm. You couldn't hear anything because it was soundproofed so that they could have you know their meetings and not be disturbed. Well, we never would have known that if we hadn't done the drill, and then obviously it was dealt with. Wow. Um, so, what is an example of somebody addressing a crisis publicly badly like what are some what are some oh we see those bad examples right. all the time what are some key um, that you think people should try to avoid as they're addressing it well first of all you need to know who's going to be your spokesperson and that they're well trained and that they're prepped for that particular issue or 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 situation so just because they're the CEO or the head of HR doesn't mean that that they are good communicators or are good communicators um, on social media or on television. They may be great if somebody sits down and they're writing something in advance and they can in the paper they look fine, but on TV they look like a deer in the headlights. You know, so um, you have to know who your spokespeople are. They need to be well educated and trained on responding quickly and effectively. And you need to know um, who your team is going to be to candidly test out the messaging in advance um, on different platforms so that 
uh, it's not left to one person because what you think the issue is and what you think the best solutions are and what people are most concerned about are not necessarily what somebody else thinks out in the public and the basically um, if you think well it's common sense the reality is what you think is common sense and what someone else is com- thinks is common sense is totally different so are there any other words of wisdom you haven't shared that you think business owners should be aware of well I thoroughly appreciate being able to be um, on the podcast and and to be able to present to the chamber group this morning and um, I, I opened my presentation with a quote from Helen Keller worse than being blind is to be able to see and have no vision how many times do you see indicators out there and you say well I'll get to it or it's not as bad you know and and you ignore it and then all of a sudden it's in front of you anticipate things move too fast these days um, and in too many different directions and too far much further than they ever did in the past uh, and you can't afford if you're if you're with an organization um, or, or, or you're a family and your job is to protect your family in case of a hurricane here or whatever you need to be prepared up front um, so that uh, the intricacies of that particular situation uh, that you can give your attention to those unique elements because everything you could figure out in advance and decide has already been decided. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kathleen. If you'd like to learn more about Kathleen's work, visit sportsmediachallenge.com or follow her on Twitter at sportsmediachal. Or at Kathleen Hessert, spelled Kathleen Hessert with an, it's like dessert with an H, H-E-S-S-E-R-T. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Chamber Chat. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for a brand new episode. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe.